Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hello, my friends. We're back. This is episode 233 of the Sample Chapter Podcast, and this week's guest is Eric Mertz. Eric is a paranormal mystery author, writing consultant, ghostwriter, and podcaster. He's the second half of uh, a previous guest that we had on here with the WriterCraft podcast. You heard from his partner, Valerie Eson, and now Eric joins us to, uh, to talk about his writing and his books, which I am very excited about. Uh, we're going to be discussing dealing with setbacks, which, oh my gosh, I'm... Definitely uh, got some stories for you for that here coming up. Uh, <laughs> separating your ghostwriting from your own writing, uh, the fascinating world of ghostwriting. We, we go into that a little bit. Writing a series, and he has a great quote on turning a weed patch to a garden, which I thought that was really cool. So stay tuned for all that. It's coming up here real soon. Uh, not to mention, you also get to have one incredible sample reading from a book that uh, not only is his uh, is the first of his series but it's one that you can get free through book funnel if you uh, click the links in the show notes so hey stay tuned for all that uh the interview with eric is coming up here in just a couple of moments so stay tuned meanwhile oh my gosh it's uh it's been a minute since the last episode hasn't it <laughs> i'm sorry about that it's uh it, it's been some trying times, to say the least, here lately. You know, at first, after uh, after our last episode, 232, uh, some of it was just me. You know, I just kind of took some time. It was Easter. Uh, you know, I had a lot going on, did a lot of traveling. Uh, actually, during that time, my mom had another surgery on what we thought at the time was a tumor in her head. Uh, but thankfully, it turned out not to be the case it was just scar tissue, and that got removed, and she's doing much better now. Uh, so that's good. But uh, what started off as just kind of taking it easy for a little bit and getting through the Easter season uh, turned into just kind of a nightmare there for a while. First time editing this show, <laughs> I was about 45 minutes into it because I do go through and I edit. Um, the interview portion itself, I don't, in, I don't edit very much of it. Because it's just us talking, you know, it's not a whole lot to edit anyway. But the readings I always edit. Anyway, so the first time working on this episode, I was about 45 minutes into it. I took a break to go join the family for dinner. But when I came back, the computer had decided to do updates and it shut down and it did not save it. I lost it all. And uh, not only lost it, but I lost the the episode that I had, it, it was, it was gone as well. I finally tracked it down. Thankfully, Zoom keeps a copy of everything, but I had to reformat it, go through that whole process again. And then essentially a few days later, once I got some time, I had to start over. <laughs> so this time, uh, on this day, when I got uh, the second time, I didn't have as much time. Uh, I had a little window. I worked on it for about 30 minutes, stopped, because uh, I got a phone call, had to go ahead and run right away, ran out, and when I came back later that night, uh, lo and behold, my computer was dead. <laughs> it turned out the uh, dogs had been playing, they unplugged my laptop, 
and uh, yeah, it just uh, it it died on me. So whenever I came back to my work, it was gone again. Uh, now, fortunately, this time it didn't completely disappear. I don't know why that happened last time, uh, but this time I was able to just you know, pull it back up and get going on it. And so you know, and, and as it would happen, this is the time of year where I'm really busy at work. So it's been uh, it's been a little trying. Uh, getting the time to uh, get in and work on this. <laughs> and each time I go in and work on editing, whenever I realize, okay, I'm out of time, i got to stop, I've, I'm saving the work. I'm saving it. I'm making a note. Okay, I got this far into it. Here's where I left off at this time marker. And then I would come back to it later on and work, you know, for whatever, I, whatever window I had, 10 minutes, 15 minutes to see what I could do, and so I had multiple copies of this episode going, multiple different edits, so I've got a lot of copies of this right now with various uh, <laughs> degrees of edit in it, and it's it's been a bear, I mean, I'm telling you, it has been a bear, and uh, there's just, just been a lot of personal interruptions lately, let's just call it that, but I'm not going to complain. I've, I got it done, and uh, you know I've got this episode out for you now. So that's exciting. I can't wait to share this because uh, Eric was a fantastic guest. Uh, working on Bandit 2 lately, it's uh, it's practically done. I finished the big battle throughout Worlds of Fun, which was a blast to do. Uh, those of you who listened last time heard me talking about I had a I found some interactive maps from 1989, which essentially is when the world stopped in my series and it's a worlds of fun map and I can zoom in I can zoom out I can scan over the park all that kind of stuff so that's been a blast I've got I've got another copy of it where I actually have it mapped out okay here's where bandit goes and this happens here's where they go and they you know they're on this ride uh, and this happens and you know all kinds of fun stuff going on and, and it was it was a real blast to write that final battle and uh, the showdown and uh, now all I'm doing right now is just kind of writing that final chapter, the the wrap up, that uh, wraps everything up from this book and introduces uh, potentially what's coming in book three. But uh, it's I'm, I'm having fun with it. This is a lot of a lot of fun. I can't wait to begin the uh, full on editing process. And uh, yeah, as soon as the book is ready, I will make sure and let you know. Uh, in other news. Uh, again, it's been a while since I've been on here, but, but last time I was also talking about, um, we were in a race for the, uh, best music video and our pick was, my pick was Sledgehammer by Peter Gabriel. And thanks to you, the listeners, the voters, uh, everyone out there that uh, voted, we won. And, uh, that was exciting. That was done through our, uh, uh, the network that we're a part of, Pop Goes to Culture Network, their uh, flagship show, Pop Goes to Culture Podcast, was uh, running that poll and had invited us in, and uh, yeah, that was our pick, and and it won, and uh, it was it was pretty exciting. I was really happy about it. Uh, we it was interesting because we we just barely lost in the Twitter version of the poll, but on Facebook, uh, that's where I really took it. That's where. Uh, we we ran away with the votes and uh, you put it all together and yeah we, we we won big time so thank you so much to everybody out there listening who who voted and uh, took some time out to 
uh, to vote for that. And uh, yeah, it was really cool. Had had a, <laughs> had a good time with it. And uh, I don't think I've listened to Sledgehammer so much since uh, probably since I was a teenager and that uh, song came out. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, uh, make sure you click that link in the show notes for Pop Goes the Culture Network and check out all their fine shows over there. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun and uh, they got some really cool shows. Uh, I also invite you to check out our affiliate, Writer's Block Coffee. They have three delicious flavors. Uh, try one or try them all. Set it up on a one-time order or set it up for monthly automatic shipping so you never miss out on uh, some delicious coffee being sent straight to your house. Uh, Again, that uh, link is in the show notes or you can just head right over to writersblockcoffee.com and use coupon code SAMPLECHAPTER at checkout for 10% off. All right, everybody. Well, enough of me yammering. This is uh, longer than I usually talk, so let's get on over to our episode with the elegant Eric Mertz. Hello, Sample Chapter listeners. Welcome back. Hey, this week I am joined by an author that I'm very excited to introduce to you. Uh, I became aware of Eric Mertz about a year ago through the show Writercraft Podcast, and uh, him and uh, his his co-host Valerie Son, who was a previous guest on this show a few weeks back. And you know, it's just it's been really fun to listen to this this uh, show and follow Eric, and then kind of get to know a little bit about him through that. And then now here I am today talking with him. I'm so excited. Eric Mertz is an author born and raised in the Pacific Northwest. He writes paranormal mysteries series, The Strange Air, described as Longmire meets the X-Files, and it's set in the fictional central Oregon town of Whistler's Grove. If he's not writing, you can probably find him worrying about the Portland Trailblazers, drinking a local beer, or exploring that glorious Pacific Northwest landscape with his wife and son. Ladies and gentlemen, help me welcome to the show, Eric Mertz. <laughs> Thank you. It's good to be here. <laughs> I'm so happy to have you here, and I'm I'm grateful that you are uh, familiar with podcast ins and outs and the fun distractions that can happen in the uh, in the background. So I'm happy to have you here. Absolutely, yeah. I'm listening to some myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. It's good Friday morning. Good. Wrapping good. up the week. Yeah. yeah. Now, as uh, as somebody like I said, I follow the uh, the Writers Craft podcast, so I know a little bit about like some of the things you've been mm-hmm. dealing with, some setbacks here recently, like the <laughs> website issues. It, it looks like that got all taken care of. Thankfully, yes. <laughs> I I liked I appreciate what you said that uh, you know we're not usually hovering over our own website twenty four seven, so you know it's we don't know that there's something wrong until someone lets us how how did you find out about your website being down uh yeah so i have i have a regular client so my website being i'm a ghost writer um that's that's what pays my bills um i've been a ghost writer for full time for for 10 years and then off and on you know periodically before that for another 10 so let's say it's been 20 years um so i have a regular client someone who who's hired me numerous times to work on screenplays, Mm. um, screenplay projects. And he asked if he could refer a friend. And of course I said, yeah, go ahead. Give them my, (laughs) give them my website. And about a, I don't know, three days later, he said, yeah, my friend said your website was down. 
Um, oh, is something man. wrong? And he he had this very concerned tone. I mean, we've become acquainted. We're I would almost say we're almost friends at this point. Sure. And I think he had this the tone of like, are you are you going out of business? Is something going on? So I looked at my website and and all it said when I went to my URL was your site has received a critical error and the, and there was the simplicity of the message was there that was the terror you know I just felt like oh my gosh what's this? it's not even telling me what's wrong it has to be really bad uh, but it's all it was a predictable error and we're back um, and actually putting you know kind of putting a plan in place to come back new and better in a couple of months so Fantastic. You know, I'm, I'm trying to take the setback of, of, a, of a site error crash and turn it into like a new business venture so that's great that's great it's funny though because that well it's not it's not funny because that's never funny but it's a strange uh happenstance that same time you were dealing with that the same thing happened at my work my day job where oh, uh we had a, a customer reached out to us let us know that they can't log into their account to pay their bill because it says the website doesn't work and we're like we checked it out and yeah just this error code across there and that took us fortunately it just took us an afternoon of a little bit of finagling and and talking to some developers to figure out like what happened here what's going on like right. this this can't happen and uh, got no. it sorted out but yeah it was just kind of odd timing like wow it's like it's weird how the universe lines up and you hear the same kind of thing over and over again. So I'm waiting on a third time and yeah. hopefully it's not me. So <clears throat> no, no. And, <laughs> you know, I just, like I said, in the, the podcast with Valerie, you know, when we talked about it, it's, it, it actually has turned into a better, like the, yes, there was that panic moment when I saw the error message, there was mm -hmm. the couple of days of uh, white knuckle, if you will. Um, writer life where I was trying to figure out if, you know, what was going to happen, <laughs> but you know, we've turned that into something new. And I think that's, that's hopefully, you know, can keep that up. Just trying to be positive, trying to turn everything negative into a positive and, and go yeah. forward with it. That's great. That's a great mindset for it. And I liked how you are, I don't know, kind of, uh, kind of Bob Rossing it, you know, with the, you know, happy little accident. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. I love Bob. <laughs> Well, yeah, it, it, he's, he's great, and I love it because there was no, you know, yeah, it's just a little simple thing happening. All right, well, let's see what we can make of that, and that's a wonderful yeah. uh, mindset to have. You know, it's like I, I, you know, I've lost chapters before of work that I was doing, and then I went back, and then lo and behold, I wrote something even better later on. It was devastating at the time, yeah. but, uh, you know, and I think all of us uh, writers have dealt with that at some point, and yeah, it's uh, you got to get that mindset around her because yeah, you could end up writing something better. Yeah, absolutely, I agree a hundred percent. So, <clears throat> so yeah, and I and I failed to mention at the start there with uh, with your introduction that you are a writing consultant and ghostwriter. How how did you get into that? Well, the the, the sort of Reader's Digest version of that story is. Um, I really didn't. I knew I was going to be a writer from the beginning. That's I, probably a lot of writers say that. I, mm. I knew this was what I was going to do. I didn't. I knew I wasn't going to do it right away. Uh, and so I kind of drifted a little bit after college and didn't have a didn't have a plan. And I ended up taking a screenwriting class. And the screenwriting teacher at the end of the first week said, "I want you to come back with ten pages." Every told everybody in the class to come back with ten pages. And I came back on Monday with like forty five. 
because <laughs> uh, I the form just made sense to me. It was such an efficient way to tell a story. It was a it was an entertaining way to tell a story. And those were 45 pretty awful pages. Now that I look at them, I still have them. Actually, I still have the <laughs> printed pages that I handed in. Mm -hmm. uh, but what happened was I ended up turning that screenplay into a quarter finalist with the Nichols Fellowship that the Academy um, runs every year. It's the biggest screenplay contest in the world, I guess. Wow. And I was a quarter finalist. And it kind of blew me away. But then I started shopping myself around at writers conferences as a screenwriter. And at the time, so this must have been 2000 and let's say 2003 or four. Uh, I was kind of the only person writing screenplays at a lot of these, at these conferences. And so I ended up meeting this woman who I'm still friends with today. And she, well, I, I'll never forget it. She walked right up to me and she said, hi, um, I run a ghostwriting business. What do you do? And I said, well, and I, you know, full of all the, <laughs> <laughs> all that sort of like foolish braggadocio. I said, well, I'm an almost award-winning screenwriter. <laughs> and she said, well, I don't have any screenplay writers on my staff. Would you like to join? And, and fast forward four weeks later, I got an email from someone and it was a pitch and he wanted me to write a screenplay based on his pitch. And that was the beginning of it. And so I, I've evolved from being, you know, on staff, being a, being a kind of a staff writer at a lot of different agencies hmm. to running my own business. You know, it, most of my work now comes through my website and I've evolved from, you know, writing screenplays was my first step in that field. And I still write a lot of screenplays, but I also write, end up writing memoirs for, with people and for people do writing coaching and um editorial but in the in the years over the years i've done pretty much everything i've written novels i've written business books i've written i've written letters for people who want to quit their jobs and want to do it in an, <laughs> you know an articulate way and i've sat down and written those letters for people so ghostwriting is fascinating it's one of the most interesting things as a writer you can attempt and mm -hmm hopefully accomplish you know getting into somebody else's story there's i love writing when i write my book and i read the and i read what i've written and i feel good about it that's a good feeling oh yeah. it's an entirely different good feeling to hand someone a, a chapter or something out of their book and have them say wow this was exactly the way i thought of it oh um, that's cool yeah i actually um I had a I had a client who was a, a British Marine, and at one point I gave him back his book, and he just the toughest, tougher than leather kind of guy, right? Through our interviews, and he ended up saying, "Of all the things I've done, you've been you are the hardest thing I've ever done, and the and ultimately the best." He said, "I've never cried about my service until I met you," hmm. um, and I, it was like such an honor to me because I thought, "Wow, this all the things the guy told me were was so like such amazing stories." So it's a it's an interesting world. It's a fun world. And yeah, one I'm like kind of lucked into and I feel great that I'm here. That's awesome. That's awesome. So do you have like a, I don't know what, like what is your approach to giving feedback or uh, helping somebody with their story? Cause I know a lot of times you hear that uh, authors, you know, we got to have a thick skin and uh, <clears throat> my, uh, my own toughest critic and, and feedback I get is from my wife who will read over my stuff and she'll 
oh my gosh, she will rip me apart sometimes with someone that's like, this is crap. What, <laughs> what in the world is this? And like, oh, this guy sounds like the worst Disney prince I've ever heard. And I'm like, oh gosh, are you serious? <laughs> so what what is your approach for talking to someone about their story? Okay, um, that's an interesting question. I, I think that what uh, part of my path to getting here was I used to be, I was in social work for many years and I was a supervisor. And, you know, it was always my responsibility to sit down with people and talk to them about, you know, as case managers, what they, you know, what they were doing well, what they needed help with. And in a situations that were especially troublesome, um, I always felt it was important to talk to that person about here's what here's what you're doing that I that I love. That's that this works. This is really working. And this is what we're doing. This is what we're, you know, I need to see improvement in. And trying to find a way to marry those two things so that the person doesn't come at their what might be perceived deficiencies, um, feeling incapable of of overcoming them. So I try to take that, and I had no, you know, I have no professional training or academic training in management. It's just something I learned that people don't respond to. If you can't give people a basket of negative and expect them to make a pot, some people can, some people mm. can make a positive out of a bunch of negative and that's a gift, mm -hmm. but that's not everybody. That's probably not even, that's a small, small percentage. So I feel like, you know, if I get a manuscript from someone and it's, um, I try to look at what is the author, what is the author really doing well? Like, for example, if that author is a, a master world builder, just they're giving me a ton of the world, but the characters aren't there. Then I try to help them see, like, here's what you're doing really well. Like, here, how work with them to to identify how they approach the things that they are they're really doing well, and how to take some of that approach and 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 put it towards the things that they need to improve. Because so I think that, and and the other part of that too is understanding where a manuscript is at the time when you get it. So, I mean, sometimes I'll get manuscripts that are you know, it, it's, they're jumbled scenes, kind of like if you put a CD mm -hmm. on shuffle, like it's, it's all there. It's just not in the order it needs to be, you know, it's, it's a, it's a bit random. You know, that's a different approach than with someone who's down at the end of the manuscript, like down at the end of that rewriting phase, there may be one rewrite away from submission or publication. So I try to identify where they, where it is too. If uh -huh. it doesn't help to give that person who's still figuring out the order of their story and how the story is going to fit together, that upper level polish feedback mm -hmm. and then vice versa. Like, so I think it's, you have to know where the person is, you have to know where the book is and you have to identify in order to help them improve what they're doing well. I think that's just, I think that's a key for everything, right? Yeah. If you want change, you have to, you have to affect it from a positive point of view. Exactly. Yeah. Wow, man, I can, I can see why, why you're doing so well, why people love working with you. That's some, <laughs> that would be great feedback to have somebody talking to oh, me well, like thank that. Thank you. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so now whenever it comes to, yeah, like the ghost writing, um, you get yeah. ideas, they give you, here's what I'm thinking, here's what I'm doing with it. And then you get to kind of go from there, take that. How much of, how much of that is your input versus what they said they wanted to do? That is different with every client. I, I would uh. say in general, my, my policy God, to say I have a policy makes me feel like I'm, you know, 
Like, like <laughs> I've got employees in the back and, and someone's going to bring me coffee this afternoon. But my personal policy is, I guess, that it's your story, right? If you're going to hire me to write your story, you have to be, because you're going to go out and sell it. This is what I talk to all of my clients about. You're going to be the one going out to sell it. So you have to believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, so in general, I, that's that's how I go about it. I let them know that, yes, you might. Like I'm, I'm, I'm in a, a situation with a client right now where we're coming up with a series Bible for her for her television series, and and the character arcs are that she's choosing are just different than the character arcs that I had proposed, and actually they're different than the character arcs that I believe are best. But she mm-hmm. really wants to push a certain angle in that story. Mm-hmm. And so we're working to to make sure that that angle uh, lands the right way. So it, it just depends. You know, I have a regular client. I've been writing for him for, gosh, probably seven or eight years at this point. And I've he's basically just given me the green light to write his ideas however he I want to do them. He's he has definite input. He'll give me character direction. They're horror screenplays. I like I like horror. Um, and so, so I, you know, he'll give me direction on what he wants or the tone, you know, he'll mm-hmm. tell me it's more like this or more like that. Um, he'll push on details, but for the most part, when I come to him and say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to rewrite this screenplay or write the screenplay like this. He's usually super enthusiastic. And part of it is that he's a bottom line person. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, you know, selling his screenplays uh, and he's happy about that. So he's, mm-hmm. so it, it works. I have a lot of clients that are our producers for um, television shows They're you know, they're working in the industry and they, you know, those people working in the industry need content. They need to have fresh material, but they're working 16 hour days. So, oh, yeah. you know, for those kind of clients, they know exactly what they need to push their careers. So I'm a little more, um, you know, I'm a little more of a, of a servant in that, in that capacity. Cause I know, like I have a client right now, she's trying to get into selling, a historical drama. And so we're writing something for her that's going to help her sell that. You know, mm. she's pushing all the buttons. Mm-hmm. So it's really just different for everybody, whatever they need. Okay. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. It it like occurs to me that <clears throat> like in movies, when you hear somebody saying, you know, you hear the producer like, well, I've got my people, I'll have my people work on that and 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 doctor it up and we'll we'll put that together. And they're already doing a million other things, but then it's like, oh, Eric's the people. So you're that's the, me. The people that, that are putting it together. <laughs> that that is me right now. Like yeah, I've, I've got a project that's like that where it's I I can I've I've envisioned that conversation happening kind of above the, the, <laughs> my contact's head. Like yeah. okay, he's being told this, and now it's coming down to me. And um, but it's good, right? I mean, my whole life I've been a problem solver. It's been my, you know, I did that in my in my career as a. Um, as a social worker and it just extends into here. Like I, I like the job of helping people solve that problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with story, it's the same way. That's great. That's great. Now, do you have any problems separating the work that you do ghostwriting or advising other people from your own writing uh, in your own world building? Or do, do you find that it kind of enhances it? Um, that's a good question. I don't have a problem really separating the two. I have a really 
I have a really defined work schedule. So I'm never, th those things are never overlapping. My, mm -hmm. my schedule is usually I work on my books in the morning. I work on client work in the afternoons um, with some variation depending on schedule. So there's always that kind of clean break. There's a lunch in between the two. There's usually some, you know, talking to my wife or something. Yeah, you know, there's something that happens in between that just breaks that narrative string. So my mm -hmm. book is now tucked away and now I'm picking up with theirs. There, there can be some overlap. Um, I mean, I had a client, I mean, just very recently, uh, I have a, I have a werewolf story that I've been working on for years on and off. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever finish it. It's it's sort of one of those, it's like a weed patch in my creative world. It's like, I don't know <laughs> if I'm ever going to turn that into a garden, but it's it's I like digging in it. Um, <laughs> he wanted me to write a werewolf script for him. And so I had to be really careful and say, look, you know, I'm here's what I'm working on. And we came up with a creative solution where um, it's in, it was in our, we have a standing agreement, but we have a separate contract for that project because I want, he gets to read that script wherever, at every stage that I write it because mm -hmm. he, he has a werewolf idea and he's going out to try to sell his werewolf idea first. And I told him like, you can look and see what I'm doing. And if at any point you feel like I'm, I've, taken some of your idea or co-opted some of your original idea, then we can talk about what I can do to mm -hmm. change that. Um, and so that's, that's how we got around that. But so in that, in that case, like sometimes very infrequently, there are story overlaps or story ideas at this juncture in my career, though, I think um, that werewolf client is a, is an ongoing client. So I felt the need to work it out with him. But if someone came to me and they said, Hey, I want to, I want to write a series of novels about a small town sheriff solving, you know, solving a paranormal <laughs> mystery in his hometown. I would say, you know what? Sorry, I'm already doing that. And I can't. <laughs> I would I would turn it down. Oh, my gosh. I, I often wonder. I, I often wonder uh, <clears throat> because this actually happened to me recently. I was giving I was doing a three chapter critique for a friend of mine, he sent me his new sci-fi book that he's working on. Very rough, but uh, the the bones are great. It's got he's got such fantastic ideas, and I didn't realize I was kind of stuck on something in my own until I was I, I was just kind of meandering in my own story, trying to figure something out. And so I right. I paused to go read his stuff so I could give him some critique, and and it all of a sudden like as I'm reading that it triggered like the back of my brain was thinking of my story. And I all of a sudden was like, Oh, I know how I'm going to fix it now. And it's like getting away from it and then doing something different, I think helped out. Does that, does that happen any for you when you're working on, on clients work where you're like, Oh, I got to write this down real quick. That's how I'm going to fix the werewolf story or, or whatever. I don't know if it, I don't know if it's that, um, that's interesting. I don't, I don't sit, I, you know, I guess I could say I don't, I wouldn't sit down and work on, um, you know, like I'm going to work on a client screenplay this afternoon. I don't think I would sit there and work on, I, I would have a sidebar note, but mm -hmm. I think what happens, I think that you're pointing to, I think is definitely real is that because I'm always in that mentality to be, th to be thinking of the story, a story, you know, working through story problems. I think that back of my brain is always working. Mm -hmm. uh, 
because I'm working, let's say I'm working on, like I'm working on a, a, yeah, that script this afternoon, I'll be working on it. And then the rest of my day will go on. And I think that was what leads to, you know, when I'm standing over the stove making dinner and I get that, oh, this is what Melville needs to do in that story. Oh, that's uh, yeah. this. I I think it keeps your brain moving. It, it, it also, I think like, yeah, I think it keeps the, it keeps the creative part of your brain out of the cage and that, that can be the worst thing, especially for me. Like I, I just like to be thinking of stories all the time, whether it's, you know, a story I'm telling at the dinner table or a story I'm telling on the page. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I can relate to that. My, <clears throat> my wife, after she uh, retired from the military, she went back to school and she hates writing. She absolutely hates writing. And, and of course they were giving her papers to do all the time. And uh, right. so she was coming to me like, can you help me write this paper? And I'm like, oh, sure. Well, these are supposed to be scientific medical papers. And I'm trying to expand on like, well, yeah, but what's their motivation here? Let's, you know, aren't they, <laughs> right. if they, they go here, you know, then maybe this is going to happen. She's like, no, no, they just want to know what's going on in the brain of this person. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And it, it didn't There's no twist out. here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's no twist. <laughs> it was it was a little bit of a balance. She had to keep like reining me in. She's like, no, no, no. This is this is just facts. Stop, stop going down the yellow brick road. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think yeah, I think that's what writers do. I think that's if you didn't have that, I think that would be make being a, a writer really difficult. I think that's that is my superpower. If I have one, is that I think think I'm always in that story generative phase and and i can i try to it used to isolate me i think my wife would tell you that there were times when i would probably just drift off into dreamland and sitting across the you know the table or you know and i would lose kind of track of where i was in the in the real world but now i found a way to you know to integrate it um healthily i think yeah. <laughs> we'll see <laughs> that's great well, so now looking over your your own personal titles uh, through Amazon and, and online, you've got a, a a pretty healthy collection of you know from some sci-fi to memoirs to even some poetry, which is pretty awesome. What uh, do you find that that writing in different genres? Do you think that kind of helps keep you refreshed? Where nothing gets stale over time or do you, you just kind of like follow where, whatever you feel like at this time writing. Wow. You kind of dug in. So um, I actually, that I would say that was the, of all the errors I've made as a, just following my own personal um, writer path, I think be trying to be too diverse too quick mm. was part of the issue like early in my career you know I, I wrote poetry um, I experimented in all the forms really early on um, I write I do write in like weird fiction science fiction and dark fantasy but that's not what I'm publishing right now and I've actually if you were looking at my desk you'd see I've got I've got stacks of story ideas um, that are inside outside my series and I have another stack that's inside my series um, <laughs> and what I, I tried to do probably three years ago, I guess, is I tried to, I started writing a fantasy series that I was going to write concurrent to the paranormal mystery series that I was working on. And I found that I just didn't have the 
I, if I was focusing on one series and one way of looking at that story, that story generative phase, mm-hmm. I was much better. I, I, I was, I was much better at it. Valerie actually brought this to my attention. She edited one of the fantasy books and she said, this just doesn't, this, when I read one of your mysteries, I, I feel in the, I feel like I'm in the hands of a mystery writer. When I'm writing fantasy, I don't feel like when you're reading your fantasy, I don't feel like that. And uh-huh. I felt like at first, you know, my ego was hit a little bit, you know, and then oh, sure. and we, we've actually, t- we've talked about it quite a bit over the years. I kind of just, you know, she's referred to it and it, it certainly, I refer to it in my, um, in my own processing. So yeah, I, I, for me, I just don't, I was trying to follow that 20 books to 50 K. Um, oh yeah. Publishing. I mean, style, I guess. I don't think that's for me, to be honest. I see, I'll see people like Craig and and Mark and some of the big guys out there, and they're putting out this is, you know, eight books a year and three in fantasy and three in mystery and two in sci-fi or whatever. I mean, I think that works for some people, but I just I need a my writing process is I and I, I don't mean this in any derogatory way to any one of those guys because I've read a lot of those books and I think they're they're perfectly fine. I mm-hmm. some of them are really entertaining, but I just have a I just have a more I guess meditative process and I need to brood on my story a little bit longer. Mm, yeah, uh, I mean the book the next book in the Strange Air Paranormal Mystery series will probably come out in the in the summer early summer, and I've been writing it. This will be a year, you know, almost a year. I think I can write a little faster than that at this point. But when I try to, you know, when I think about the amount of energy that it takes to just bring a series to life, to come at it from a broad, the broad shoulders that you need to carry a series, I can't do that with two things. That said, I think after two more titles in my current series, um, the story will come to a sort of not a pause, but the stories will the story will come to a place where I can let it set. I do mm-hmm. have other, you know, series ideas that I've thought about. Like maybe I'll then at that point take a couple of months to develop another series to put something else out there. But to do them at the same time, maybe when I retire from as a ghostwriter and I can split my day between two different series, I could do that. But right now, like I, I love being in the world of the paranormal mystery series. I love, you know, developing things in that. And I just feel like if I tried to jump in doing anything else, uh, it would, yeah, I'd be robbing Peter to pay Paul and be oh, chasing kind of a different. I'd be chasing something mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I can, I can relate to that. I mean, I, I can understand that. I mean, it's. Listeners of the show know how much I struggled last year. Uh, just I had early in the year. I well, let me back up. I'm about a year past my own personal deadline for book two of my series. Uh, okay, I'd had book one in October of 21, and I'd planned on spring for book two, and then just kind of things got thrown uh, askew. <laughs> would be right. a good way to put it uh, earlier last year and it just kind of and then just throughout the year it just it was just a really weird 2022 and uh dealing with a lot yeah. of different things and trying to manage my my writing schedule was just the oddest thing I've had to deal with since I began writing and uh I went sometimes I went a month or more without writing and 
getting back into that schedule and trying to get my mind back into that world was really tough. And along the way, I was able to publish a short story and that actually helped me get, just kind of get the, the oil moving through the engine and getting things lubricated right. again to where I was like, okay, all right. Yeah. I, I can still do this. I'm, I'm not, I has been, I can, I can still, you know, write something and it helped me get going again. And, and that was good, but it, it but I think that's what helped me, get back into that story again and i realized like you know i really like this it's an 80s sci-fi and i'm having a lot of fun whenever i do open it up you know then it's i'm having a lot of fun with it and i'm glad i went back to it because the other stuff that was in my mind was like i yeah that would be fun to explore but i don't know that i'm really ready to write something like that at this time and uh, and it would take away, like you're saying, it would take away from the stuff I'm having fun writing right now, and it, and it comes across in your writing, uh, like Valerie yeah. said about yours, it does come across whenever you're having fun and uh, doing that, and and that's the you're talking about the the Strange Air series series, the Paranormal Mystery. That is what I write in currently. I have a I have that's my series series, and I have a Patreon. Uh, I have Patreon. I don't even know what I've never wanted to call it. I have a Patreon account that I do short stories that are in. So the strange air takes place in a fictional town, Whistler's Grove, as you said. And it's like, overall, there's an area that I've defined called Canyon County. Mm-hmm. And so Canyon County in, in is a fictional place that is, is haunted. And so I have stories that exist in, inside of us, the, the main story arc, following Sheriff August Melville, who's a, it takes place in the eighties and kind of starts in 1980 when he's elected sheriff. And it, it, that storyline will continue for a while, let's hope. And (laughs) throughout his tenure as sheriff and beyond, but I've also written other stories that take place in Canyon County that don't involve Mel August Melville actually that take place in various times in history. And I, so this is so for me when I'm ta- when we're talking about deviating from my main series, I love writing these short stories. Um, they take they're they're it, same world, same haunting, same malevolent force, same. Um, I get to play in the same sandbox. It's just I don't have to play with the same character all the time. Mm. And so I I write short stories. Patre- I put out one every month on Patreon, and they are. I style them as witness accounts to paranormal activity. You know, they are told from a single person's point of view, something it's something they saw, something they witnessed that they can't explain. It's their experience with it. It really was inspired a lot by uh, Unsolved Mysteries, which is my favorite show oh, yeah. of all time. <laughs> and I always, when I was a kid, I would watch that show and I'd, you know, you'd see that person I love the the paranormal ones, you know, the ones the UFO encounters or those. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, those, yeah, those are my favorite. But you, you know, I just always would think of that person, you know, sitting at their at their dining room table being interviewed, and they're just te- they're telling you what they saw, and they don't have in that moment that they're being interviewed, they just have their experience. There might be this whole bigger story around the paranormal phenomenon that they're talking about, but they're only telling you their side of the story, and so I. I came up with this um, Patreon account um, idea because I was writing these little, these little accounts, these little witness accounts, and they were super fun. And my reader, I actually put out a book of them and 
my readers loved them. And so my readers would get, come back to me and say, hey, are you going to do any more of those uh, witness accounts? Um, are there any more of those coming? And I would always say like, oh, I, I loved writing them, but I didn't have a way to publish them because selling short stories on Amazon can be difficult. Right. They end up for a lot of people being loss leaders. And and I just didn't, yeah, I just didn't know how to publish them. And then it dawned on me like, oh, I should just do these as Patreon stories. And the people that love them will, you know, will be my patrons and they'll, and that's how we'll do it. So that's if awesome. anything, I'm playing same. Yeah, it's the same world. It's just, I get to play in a different part of it. And, and I hope my main, my main character doesn't mind yet. He hasn't said anything. He hasn't bucked against it, <laughs> but it gives me. <laughs> yeah. It gives me new characters. You know, some of the characters that appear in these witness accounts, I like them so much that I've said, I can't let that character just live in one story. I'm going to find a way to work them into the book series. Yeah. And crossover. so, yeah. So I guess, <laughs> you know, that's when you talk about world building, that's, that's what I kind of, we all want to do. Right. So it's, it's a chance to broaden the world without really moving off of it. I'll go back to writing some fantasy. Like I said, I've got some, a couple of, uh, you know, mini series ideas and things that I could do outside of the genre. And if I get, if if my character and I, if, if Sheriff Melville and I need a break, then I have a, I have something I can do while we're taking a break from each other. So <laughs> that's awesome. That's great. Oh my gosh. Uh, and then the book we're hearing from today, Forgotten Shadows, that plays into that same paranormal world. Yes. Yeah, so this. So this book is the prequel to the series that appears on Amazon. And it is the first encounter that um, Melville has with the paranormal. The first, well, so this is very lightly paranormal, this story. The way this, this the series builds is it builds in its, it, it, his connection to the paranormal, what he's investigating, it, it it builds around him. In the beginning, it's just an inkling of something odd. And it as the series goes, it becomes a bigger confrontation with essentially a cult that exists inside of inside of this sort of rural uh central Oregon community. And so yeah, this is his first um investigation that gives him the idea. That something else is going on. I've always like that's the inspiration for the character. Like the challenge of being this actually started as a social worker. There was, you know, social workers in small towns have the challenge of, you know, when there's only one grocery store and you're the town social worker, you're mm. gonna run into your your clients in right. that store. You there's a there's a unique burden in serving a small town as a public official. And so when I sat down to in imagine a sheriff you know a character that i wanted to write about i wanted to touch on that challenge he's a he's lived here his whole life he's he believes he knows where all you know and and that's the the idea of the title everything is titled with shadow like he thinks he knows he thinks he knows what those shadows mean he's been mm -hmm. there long enough right and he soon finds out that there's a lot more to this place than he than he had thought that's awesome. That's great. And and it's a unique way. Th this book is actually free in a unique way. How do how do people get this book? So there is. So you can reach out to me. Um I will you'll have a link. Um I'll give you a link to reach out to me. So I this book is free through Book Funnel and you can download this book in any of your ebook forms and if you like it, you can link out to the books that are on Amazon. 
And so BookFunnel is a way to distribute um, free or, you know, kind of, you can distribute to readers in a targeted way. It's either your ARC books, you know, your advanced reader copies or review copies. And so just for this, it's, you know, it's an incentive to join my mailing list. If you like the story, you'll, you'll find more through my mailing list. And this mm -hmm. is, this is how we do it. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I believe, I mean, I'm over 230 plus episodes in the show. And I think this is my first one that's, that's been a, uh, free book to grab um other than kindle oh really but yeah this is a, this oh, is a cool. new one for the show so this is pretty cool yeah i'm excited about this that everybody listening is going to get to hear a sample read from you and then uh, they can go and grab it so that's awesome yeah, that's right. cool all right yeah i like being the my <laughs> wife always you know, my wife is she's a she's a in a different field altogether and she always kind of looks at me like when I finished this book, I have to say, I was so happy to finally, like, I knew I was, the advice I had been given by a consultant was you need to have a different, you know, kind of lead magnet, a book that gets people into your series. And so mm -hmm. she basically advised me to write a book that was going to be free. And I was, I had so much fun writing it because the pressure of, there was just an odd pressure off of it. Like, I'm just going to write a book that people are going to, I'm, I want people to like, because if they like it, they'll keep getting into the series. So <laughs> right. it really was a, that whole, like, I'm going to take away the whole, like, you know, is this book going to sell? Like, no, this book isn't going to sell, but hopefully it gets a read a ton. So. That's awesome. That's great. Well, where can people find and follow you, Eric? Uh, you can find me at ericmertzauthor.com, E-R-I-C-K-M-E-R-T-Z author.com um, i'm on all the major socials on linkedin um instagram facebook and um actually the best way to reach me i'm going to give you a link to i have a link tree link you can click on and there you can uh sign up for my newsletter and i put out a, a fairly fun bi month and twice monthly newsletter where i just talk about you know, author life stuff. I, I help, I promote other authors locally. Um, yeah. And just kind of share what this whole weird journey is like. And, and if you're on my newsletter, you can get, I mean, I'm always chapters that don't make it into the book and I'm, I run a lot of giveaways. So uh, <laughs> it's hopefully a lot of fun being in part of my mailing list. Oh, that sounds great. That sounds great. All right. Well, and of course, everybody listening, you know, I'm going to have all those links in the show notes. So whether you're on your phone or a computer, you can just scroll down, click the link and head right over there uh, right away and and uh, follow Eric on all the places. And of course, grab this copy of uh, Forgotten Shadows that you're going to hear in just a moment. Eric, thank you again. This has been a blast. I'm like kicking myself because I have so much more I want to talk about, so much more I want to say. But, you know, with time is holding us back and uh, I really ought to get Absolutely. you over to our, to our reading. But uh, I, I had a blast talking with you, man. Thank you. I had a blast, too. All right, ladies and gentlemen, time for me to step aside with my writer's block coffee and uh, enjoy this sample from our guest, Eric Mertz, with Forgotten Shadows. Chapter One. The cacophony of brass instruments and deeply pounding drums from the marching band greeted Melville as he stepped out of the cruiser. The clear sky was a pale blue. There was an unsettling chill in the air, one that had lingered since sunrise. There were days like this in Canyon County, curious confluences of bright and cold, especially late in the spring, where the long shadow of morning never quite burned off. The parking lot was filled with an assortment of cars and trucks, the bright red fire chief's car parked out front as if on display. 
Melville wound his way through the small crowd gathered around the schoolhouse front lawn. He greeted folks that recognized him with a friendly nod. He thought it better to ignore those who deliberately turned away from him. It was an election hangover. He had won the vote for sheriff by a decent margin, but the race had not exactly been a landslide. The other guy, Todd Scott, maintained a decent contingent of supporters as well. Apparently, some of those voters, even months later, clung tightly to their allegiance. Closer to the center of the crowd, students lined up behind their teachers, kids from 6 to 12 years old exhibiting looks that range from tortured boredom to ready for trouble. The patience of a grade school teacher was second only to a saint, always careening unpredictably between various moods of children. Melville was looking for Jackie Ruiz, the new principal of White Hill Elementary School. He was familiar with the name. She had attended this school around the same time as he had, but to say he knew her was a stretch. Finally, after making his way through the crowd, he found a short, dark-haired woman standing near a small podium. She wore a bright public expression, shaking hands with Mike Yardley, the local fire chief. That must be the principal, Melville thought. He cut across the lawn through the front row of patiently awaiting onlookers. The woman looked away from Yardley and flashed him a smile. The fire chief uttered his goodbye and moved on down the line. Sheriff August Melville, thank you for coming, she said. Principal Ruiz, very nice to meet you, he replied. Her grip was warm, probably from all the other hands she had shaken so far this morning. Call me Jackie, please, she said. Then she shook his hand further and directed him to where a small group of civic leaders gathered. Melville nodded and sidled into the open spot beside her. With the entire crowd staring back at them, expectantly, he felt an unsettling sensation overwhelm him. Maintaining good relationships with various public figures was important. And being the sheriff of Whistler's Grove was, he was fast discovering, about so much more than just enforcing the laws on the books. It was about serving as the face of the entire institution itself. Public address, he knew, would never be easy for him. Thank you for coming today, Jack, he said, voice barely above a whisper. It's a relief not being the only new official here today. It's my pleasure, Melville said. I wish the weather today would have agreed with our plans. At least it's not raining. The principal laughed. Then a woman standing on the sidewalk wearing a white jacket emblazoned with the school's insignia signaled to her. It was time to start. Listen, Sheriff, she said, shuffling toward the podium. Come to the reception afterwards. We're offering some refreshments in the cafeteria. I'll do that. Jackie awkwardly shook his hand again and offered a camera-friendly smile. She had received her cue to the stage and, like any ready performer, took it. Melville took his step back, checked where he was in the line, and took his spot beside Yardley. Pleasure to see you, Augie, he said. Melville nodded. Likewise. Was it really a pleasure, though? Yardley gave off an unmistakably shifty vibe. Melville had detected it right away, but he had never been able to put his finger on precisely what it was. He was afraid, with prolonged exposure to the man, he might get to know where that feeling came from a little too well. The band mercifully wound down its performance, coming to a calamitous finish with a spine-shattering cymbal crash. The sound rang in his ears. Like a well-heeled politician, Principal Ruiz paused, waited for the crowd to give her that perfect moment before clearing her throat. Good morning, everyone, she said. The hush extended out. The crowd settled into their places, watching her carefully. I am honored to welcome you all to the unveiling of the time capsule given to us 50 years ago by White Hill Elementary, class of 1930. 
Call this celebration a kind of jubilee. Cameras flash, and up from that hush came a buzz of excitement that raced around the tense and willing crowd. The students turned to face their principal and watched in awe as a man wearing blue overalls carried out a metal box covered in dirt and held it out on display for the crowd. Melville caught a whiff of his aftershave when Yardley leaned toward him. This your first one of these ceremonies, Yardley said, shielding his mouth with his hand. Melville shrugged. Well, let's just hope for your sake they've got something decent to eat at the reception. The whole process of exhuming a time capsule left Melville feeling eerie. Fifty years of time and three feet of dirt tossed aside revealed an old metal ammunition box. He had overheard a few people expressing the view that the items contained a kind of sentimental value. What he saw in the ceremony were strangely cast rays of hope for connection to an era that was long gone, almost as though the present students were supposed to glean some kind of wisdom from a hand-carved toy car, battered fountain pen, its ink long since dry. It was the chance to see their world, their more modern conveniences, in a different light. Those kids a half a century ago could not have possibly known that, though. They were, it seemed, merely suspending a piece of themselves in time. Melville sauntered down the row of tables, marveling at the many exhumed items on display. Baby dolls, a set of jacks, a farmhouse toy set, its bright red paint preserved by decades underground. There was a folded front page from the Canyon County Argus from the day they'd sealed the time capsule, Wednesday, April 30th, 1930. Other items pertaining to the school had come out of the ground, too. A White Hill Elementary theme book, three student readers, and a baseball signed by the whole sixth grade team. It was everything and nothing that represented a single moment in distant time. This all really makes you think, doesn't it? Melville turned to find Jackie Ruiz standing behind him. Cup of coffee in hand, she shook her head disbelievingly, marveling at the collection of items. It sure does. The principal stepped forward, her shoulder brushing his, and picked up the theme book. Do you remember writing in these? Of course I do, he replied, forcing a chuckle. I don't know if these bring back as many memories for me as traumas, she said. Now Melville really did laugh. School had not been terribly difficult for him, but he'd had his share of struggles trying to fill those old theme books with coherently written thoughts. Congratulations, by the way, Jackie said, tossing the theme book aside. Thank you, he said, throat catching. I must say, though, I had you pegged for sheriff from the very beginning. Melville, rarely one to blush, was blushing now. This was one of those moments. Becoming a cop and eventually the sheriff of Whistler's Grove felt natural for him, too. But to hear others echo those feelings left him feeling oddly uneasy. Well, thank you again, he said. I can still remember the way you stuck up for your brother. There it was, the inescapable association Melville had to his developmentally disabled younger brother, Lindy, someone he had spent his entire life protecting. He had taken his share of bumps and bruises and black eyes defending him before Lindy got big enough and strong enough to dole it back out. You did a nice job up there, he said, gently shifting the subject away from him. Do you like public speaking? She blushed, bouncing on her toes for a moment. Sometimes. I don't know that anyone is truly comfortable with a microphone in their hands, though. Well, if you were uncomfortable, it hardly showed. Jackie ran a hand on his arm, smile growing the whole way. Across the room, a cluster of well-dressed attendees, probably school board members, loomed. Melville could feel the weight of their stares, although he was quite sure it had more to do with her than him. It was nice talking to you, Augie, she said. The pleasure was all mine. 
And with that, she slipped away across the floor with the sway of a ballroom dancer to meet up with the board. Suddenly, Melville felt like he could breathe. He cut back to the snack table and helped himself to a small plate of carrots and finger sandwiches. And for a moment, he nibbled, watching a group of third graders chase one another around. Does that bring back memories? Melville startled and turned to find the source of the voice, a woman standing behind him. She was older, likely nearing 70 years old, with sharp eyes and long gray hair worn neatly in a bun. She seemed familiar, but he could not quite place the face. Of course, he said, dumbfounded. The woman took a pointed step forward. She set the cup of punch she'd been carrying down on the table, a smile growing with the recognition of his stupor. You don't recognize me, do you? Eh, you could help me out, he said. Lois Hancock. Ms. Hancock, your third grade teacher. With the reminder of the woman's name, ancient memories flooded back to him all at once. Time had obscured the much younger woman he might have remembered, but now that he knew who she was, he could see her coming through. Ms. Hancock? Call me Lois, please, she said. It's so good to see you, he replied. He set down his place of food to shake her hand. The old woman's fingers were icy. Good to see you, too. How have you been? The old woman shrugged and took back her hand. I've been retired for all of, what, three years now? Does being in this old building bring back memories, he asked. I spent almost 30 years chasing kids around these hallways, Lois sighed. Hard not to feel all that come back when I walk through these doors. Melville shook his head in disbelief. As much as he wanted to remember distinct events from his third grade year, nothing clear came through. Everything had faded to impressions, disassociated faces pushing briefly through a fog. He didn't know whether to call this unfortunate, but in this moment, with this woman who so clearly remembered him, he felt bad. Like he should have a story to share, something to more tightly connect them. Well, how has retirement treated you? Again, Lois sighed. She picked up her punch and took a long drink before telling her story. Since leaving the school, she filled her days with crocheting, baking for school fundraisers, and reading the stacks of Harlequin romance novels she picked up here and there. She relished the fact that, since taking retirement, she had started playing bingo and even learned to line dance, things she had forever felt there was not enough time for. Melville believed she had never been married, living in an old Victorian house at the edge of the Whitaker neighborhood. He wondered whether she was indeed as excited about her list of activities as she presented, or just lonely, these distractions becoming a more prominent and important part of her life. Now and then they invite me to these events, which makes me feel good, you know, she concluded. I'll bet, he replied. They lingered in silence for a minute, watching the crowd form and reform around the exhumed items. Teachers took their turns leading classes through, pointing out the meaning or significance of certain items, using this as a lesson in living history. Do you miss it? Of course I do, Lois replied. I believe that anyone who ever had the honor of teaching these children would miss it. With his teacher distracted, one of the younger children, a boy in an oversized polo shirt, wandered out from the line to the center of the cafeteria. Or not, the teacher replied. Melville laughed. I was sorry to read about your dad, Augie. I appreciate that, he replied, momentarily stunned. A couple of years ago, Melville's father had passed away. Sometimes that felt like forever ago and other times yesterday. Today, it was the latter. I wanted to reach out, but no, no, that's okay. I remember him coming to our parent conferences, she continued, seemingly unaware of how uncomfortable he was with the subject. Now there's a memory, he said awkwardly. 
He did such a good job with you, Lois said. And your brother, too, after your mother left. Melville reeled. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to bring that up. It's okay. He turned to her, placing his hands on her shoulders. He looked at her square and her soft blue eyes. Really, it's fine. And that was it. He was done with that conversation. Melville added a few more items to his plate. He wasn't sure whether to keep the conversation with his old teacher going, change the topic, or excuse himself. This was such a neat idea, he said, finally breaking the conversational stalemate. He hated to drift into such bland generalities, but aside from their connection in the classroom years ago, there was little more for them to talk about. Lois replied with a nod. Across the room, she saw someone she recognized waving at them. Think about it from their point of view. Whose? Melville asked, looking around. The old woman pointed to a cluster of older attendees, six or seven gray-haired men and women, stooped and standing off in the corners. They were from the class that buried the box 50 years back. Your mother was a teacher before you, right? He asked Lois. She nodded. Then a strange glimmer lit up her eyes, one he had not seen before. Was she a teacher back then? He said, gesturing to the time capsule. She was, the old woman replied. Melville shook his head. There were so many connections here, it was getting hard to track. Trying to extrapolate a few of them, let alone all of them, was dizzying. What happened to your mother? Is she still alive? Lois stared across the cafeteria, but she managed to glance back at him. Her look, blank at first, seemed to hone in, focusing on some detail. My mother is gone. I'm sorry, Melville replied. I didn't know that. She was murdered. All right, that was Eric Mertz reading a sample chapter from his book, Forgotten Shadows. Uh, it is a part of the Strange Air series, and it's free through Book Funnel if you click the link in the show notes. Hey, don't forget to also follow Eric's other links in there and uh, check out his other books in the series and all everything else he has to offer. It's a lot of fun. Uh, check out the podcast, the WriterCraft podcast with uh, him and Valerie Isan. It's a great show, one that I listen to every week. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button on this show so you don't miss out next time when I will be back with a new author, a new book, and a brand new sample chapter. Take care, everybody.